is sports betting the true future of sports media content? Coach and I are back, and we're going to get into that this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. Welcome to the show. We hope this finds you well. We are. We hope you are happy. Coach is here. This is the Iceman, Matt Freights, and we are off the heels of what was an extremely fun and informative episode with our man, Tyler Budge. I want to give a shout out to you, Tyler. Do not forget to follow him at CF Budge on TikTok. Coach, welcome to the show, my man. How are you? Iceman, I am pumped dude like every week we inch closer to my favorite time of the sports year and that is uh, football season right and yes just like you said I'm very very grateful for Tyler and his time it it was just a really great experience hopefully again sometime throughout the football season we can get together looking forward to that we are on the cusp of preseason football, I think they actually had the Hall of Fame game the other day, which I didn't even notice. Usually I tune in for a minute. I didn't even realize it was happening. But there was kind of some blowback from that a little bit. There was some controversy in the news I heard about. I don't know if you heard. But other than that, man, happy to be back, gearing up for the season, gearing up for college football eve or whatever the hell we're calling it. So I'm pumped. Yeah, man, we have a lot to look forward to. But I just want to say to the listening and viewing audience, first of all, if you're watching on YouTube or listening in the audio space, a big thank you to you. And if you want to call or text any of the INC entities, the number to do that is area code 703-718-6314. As always, you know, we're here for all of that smoke. But Coach, it's really funny because we almost are a curse show. And I think we've been that way since the beginning. Do you remember when we first started? Every time we would back a team, they would lose. And we had a, an episode that we called This Show is Cursed or whatever it is. And it's funny because I was super excited for that episode to drop last Friday. I'm sitting there in New Jersey, about to go to a Metallica show, really, really excited. And then the biggest news of all drops. And you know what happens? We are once again behind the eight ball, eight days late, $8,000 short. But that is really the essence of what makes us special, in my opinion. Yeah, it was crazy because... We released the episode with Tyler, like you said, Friday night. And Friday, all hell broke loose, right, in the world of college football. And if you were to listen to that episode without the understanding that was recorded three days prior, um, you would be like, these guys have their heads buried so far up their own asses, they don't even realize what's happened today. But if you listen to it, understanding that on Tuesday of last week, none of that had happened yet. I mean, we talked about the speculation that it could happen. Um, I don't think we anticipated that it was going to happen to the extent that it did. But even so, it was kind of like you said, we got beat to the punch. Um, The the world finds a way to stick it to uh, old Iceman and coach once in a while. It's poetic justice. That's really what it comes down to. Like, it's almost meant to be that way because... Of course that would happen. It, was just, it made me laugh when you texted me Pac-12 dead and I went to my phone and looked it up and I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. The episode isn't even out yet and we're already done. Like the episode is done. But however, that episode or that little section that we did on conference realignment did actually spark a little bit of debate and we're gonna get into that. But I wanna get into a story first before we almost officially turn the page over to football despite the fact that there'll be a few things sprinkled in here or there throughout the football season, of course, and a couple of those in this episode. But you sent me an interesting TikTok about Barstool. Now, you're a big Barstool guy. Admittedly, I'm sort of apathetic about Barstool. I don't have a, any feelings either way. They're not anything that I disassociate myself with. They're not content that I try and seek out. But one thing that I know about them is that they have always prided themselves, at least Dave Portnoy has, on being sort of a rogue entity, being the voice of the voiceless, so to speak, they kind of do what they want. They got purchased a while back for a lot of money. I think it was like a half billion dollars. And yesterday, this kind of bombshell sort of goes off with sports betting where Barstool gets their company back for basically pennies and ESPN goes into business with Penn Entertainment, which was the company that bought Barstool to essentially make ESPN Bet, which is now going to be ESPN, the news outlet, and ESPN, the sports gambling outfit, this 
soul entity. And I think this is fascinating as hell because this is the future, but I'm a little nervous about this future from a morality standpoint. I just want to hear your thoughts on all of this with Barstool and ESPN. So I think that on the Barstool front, I've always been a fan and not because I agree with everything they say or do, but I'm I'm a big fan of the whole anti-establishment mentality. I think that they would fly that flag proudly. Looking at mainstream media today, and not just like your network news, but even sports media, a lot of people would say that it's agenda-driven in some way, shape, or form, that there are people who control the narrative within those different organizations. And I think that you could say that Barstool answers to nobody. Uh, they have no master and they are free to literally just speak whatever is on their minds. And that's one of my favorite things about them. And that's why I idolize them in, in some ways. And so looking at Dave Portnoy specifically, there are certainly things about him that could rub someone the wrong way. But when you look at the world and the successful people in it, a lot of successful people have similar traits to what Dave Portnoy has. Extraordinarily confident um, and they really don't give a shit anyone else thinks about them. And I think that you have to have those two things in order to find your way to success. Because if you're the type of person that's going to be derailed by any snide comment or criticism along the way, you're destined for failure, most likely. And then to kind of talk about the ESPN piece, like I'm a little more open-minded, I think, to the sports gambling thing than you are, perhaps. I, I, I don't, it's like NIL, right? Um, and paying players. It's happened forever. Uh, but now it's a, it's kind of like on the up and up. It's on the table. And, and I'm kind of one of those people like, I don't care what you do. Just be honest about it. And I think that's kind of what's happened in the world of sports gambling is they've taken what's always been going on and just put it above board for everybody to see. I don't necessarily have any issues with it from that standpoint. So I do think it's interesting, though, that the, the dynamic between ESPN and Barstool um, kind of had a, a part in this whole thing, right? Where ESPN was like, we want nothing to do with Barstool Sports in any way, shape, or form. And, and that certainly played a part in the situation. So I'm not against sports betting at all. The only conundrum that I want to bring up is the idea that ESPN is also supposed to be a somewhat objective news outlet. And I say news in like the loosest sense because sports news to me is not like news to me, Adam Schefter breaking a free agency signing is not really critical news. Like, I don't need to know that right just now. If I find that out in a few hours, who cares? It doesn't really affect my life. But I think it's funny because they're reporting on the news, but now they're going to basically have all the sports betting things sort of happening at the same time. And I think what they're trying to tap into is this billion dollar booming industry of sports betting that is becoming larger and larger and larger. And this is kind of the path that we're on now. It's not dissimilar from what college football is doing with all this conference realignment. They're trying to basically make it so they can make as much money as possible. And ESPN is getting a lot of money. Penn Entertainment came to them and basically said, look, it's not working out with Barstool. Can we come with you? We'll pay you. I think they're paying them like $150 million a year for 10 years just to basically have their ESPN branding on this app to try and capture enough of a piece of the pie so that they can somewhat compete with FanDuel and DraftKings because those are the two at the top. And it's almost like the, the way I, it was put to me was ESPN and Penn Entertainment, they just want to get on the podium. They don't need to be the top dog. And there is millions, billions potentially to be had here. So I wonder about the conflict of interest. But then, as you know, the NFL, MLB, they're all partners with ESPN. So they've they've navigated this before and does it really matter? Like, does the regular consumer really care about those moral blurry lines? I don't think so. No, I don't think so either. There's certainly segments of fan bases and the population in general that would object to this for whatever reason. But I, I'm telling you, what, we're a part of a major shift in sports right now as a whole. And we'll talk about it more when we get into conference realignment. But everyone needs to accept right now that your your traditions and everything that you probably hold sacred about the sport you're a fan of, um, the team you're a fan of, the rules the game is played by, like they're gonna they're they're going by the wayside faster and faster day by day. And the world is evolving and it's evolving quickly. And I think that especially some of our older fans are gonna struggle with this. And not exclusively older fans, but I would say that the older you get, the more you sort of get ingrained in this stubborn mentality 
and entrenched in your beliefs of tradition and things. like. And I love tradition. I'm here all day long for it. I love it. I love it. I love it. But at the same time, I can also see the landscape for what it is and where it's going. I've said it before, evolve or die. Things are going to change and it's going to happen. And, and me, myself, like I would prefer to find a way to be a fan of whatever is happening than to sit here and like, you know, take my ball and go home and well, I'm not going to watch this sport because I don't agree with what they're doing. Like that, the only person that's losing out in that situation is me. You know, whatever X organization, they don't care that they've lost the coach's fandom. So the only thing that would make me nervous if I was or was a sports better, I know that you are. And what makes me nervous about this for people who do engage in that is that it feels like ESPN now could potentially affect those betting lines and it could affect the way people spend their money. Now, at the end of the day, and you and I talk about this a lot, it's your responsibility to do with your money what you see fit. If you're gonna place a bet on something that Mina Kime says, even if she's not deliberately telling you or saying something related to a betting line, then that's your responsibility. But I do wonder how ESPN is kind of gonna navigate this because they have to know that they are the preeminent sports media network and something that they say is going to affect those lines and is going to affect people and how they spend their money. Thankfully, that's not our job to figure out, but I do think it's gonna be interesting to see how that goes. I know for me, it'll be interesting when you're watching, say, a college football game and you kind of see the lines change throughout the entirety of the game. It will make it funny from a casual perspective to sort of observe that and see how it relates to things. Like, you know how they have the winning percentage or the the projected winning percentage throughout an entire game? And I think to myself, anything could happen at this point. Like, I understand where they're coming from. And then you see those ridiculous things like the end of the Bills-Chiefs game two years ago when it was like up, down, up, down, up, down, because you can't predict any of that crap. It'll probably be like that. We'll all be blissfully ignorant to it. But again, I want to warn you, if you spend your money on gambling, Always be careful and never, ever, ever listen to a pick of the week and put any money behind it. No, unless I mean, unless you're going to fade my picks, that that'd be your best bet. You can just you'll see the record at the end of the show. But I think uh, one of my favorite things, truthfully, has become like live in-game betting as opposed to the predetermined lines because they they change play by play. And so one of my favorite bets to place is in a a game that's. There's a heavy favorite. The underdog has managed to keep it close early. And in a situation where the underdog is sort of driving and the line that was maybe, especially in a college game where you get the crazy lines of 20 or plus, you know, 20 plus points sometimes, or even higher in some cases. So all of a sudden now that their defense has stopped them twice, now the underdog's got the ball back, they're driving, they get into field goal range and you can catch like the, the overall, the, the game line at minus seven where it's opened at minus 21 or something stupid. And you know, more often than not, not always, obviously, but more often than not, the superior team is going to get their shit together and they're going to come back and win the game and probably win in convincing fashion. Now, that doesn't always happen, but the odds, I would say, are in your favor in those cases. So I kind of just watch. Watch for that line to drop and drop and drop and then hammer the favorite when it gets about as low as I anticipate it's going to go I mean, sure, it hasn't worked out a few times, but I'm also not crazy. I mean, I bet for entertainment. Like, not I'm not betting to make money. I mean, I'm talking, I bet $5 a game or something or $10 a game tops. Uh, it's just purely fun for me. Uh, it just gives me, honestly, it gives me an extra reason to watch a game that I may not have any interest in otherwise. You know, and, and then to do it live in game kind of makes it even more engaging. So that, that's one of my favorite things to do. And, I think that when you you talked about manipulating lines, I think that's been happening for a long time. There was a story I saw, and I can't remember the specific sport that it took place in, but somebody with one of those two, you know, FanDuel or DraftKings, I can't recall which one. There was a tweet that came out. Oh, it was like, it was like the draft. It was like the NBA draft and who was going to be taken like number one over, overall. And there was a tweet that came out like hours before the draft that said like, hey, hearing that so-and-so is going to go number one, and it turns out the person that tweeted that worked for one of these uh, companies, and it like obviously swayed betting significantly when this tweet came out. And so, you know, I think that stuff's going on either way, whether it's ESPN involved or not. For the uninitiated with Coach, if he doesn't show up to the show for a month at a time, it's because he has gotten deep into 
Thursday night maction and in-game betting and has lost his shirt and he will be back whenever it is that he gets his money back. Well, perfect segue, man, to conference realignment. And I know everything has been said at this point. I don't think we're breaking any news here. We never do break any news, as you know. But the conferences have just, they've completely shifted to the point of they're irrecognizable. The names are a farce. Everything is a farce. I'm not necessarily anti-conference realignment. I'm still going to watch the product. And it is what it is. This is the future. Anybody who's not down with it, I don't know what to tell you. This is just the future. So you're going to have to worry about watching Oregon play Iowa and Oregon play Illinois. Shout out to Ryan Leskis. But that's just kind of where it's at. But you have a little bit more of a prognostication as it relates to the future of college football. You shared it with me. And I want you to share it with the listeners and then we can kind of talk about the reality of where we are now. So I don't know if I'd call it a prognostication. This this is more of a theory. It, it's as I go through this, you're going to realize this is flawed. It's not perfect. I, there are people that are much smarter than I am that could make this and fine tune it into something that could work. I don't. I'm, and I'll also say I, I have no expectation whatsoever that anything like this is actually going to happen just because it probably People probably won't make the amount of money that they can manage to make in the way the system is structured now. But we all have to accept that things are changing. College football as we knew it is gone. Conferences as we knew them are gone. Throw geography out the window. Like all the the boo-hooing about it. Like just this doesn't make any sense. Like that's that's not a that's not a credible argument to me. Well, it just doesn't make sense. Well, what give me some like why not? And I understand like the biggest thing. The most logical argument is that not about football itself, but about the other sports, right? The Olympic sports, the baseball team, the track team, the tennis team, the volleyball team, the wrestling team, whoever, um, you know, having to travel from Eugene, Oregon to wherever the Rutgers is in New Jersey, right? Like on a, on a weeknight or something, it just doesn't make sense. It's not fiscally responsible. There's a lot of issues with it. Let me give you my pitch for what should happen to major college football. So first and foremost, major college football detaches from the NCAA. Uh, they create their own league with a commissioner and a board of directors who are not employed by any university. I don't want athletic directors, presidents, anybody. I understand that these people may happen to be alma maters of different universities, but none of them will be employed by a university. It will be a group of fully independent people. So this league is going to consist of 120 teams. I understand that currently there are 133 Division I FBS football teams. This is going to leave 13 of them out in the cold. I get that. We're going to go with 120 because it creates good even numbers for the rest of my uh, the rest of my theory and setup here. So 120 teams, they're going to be split into three tiers. For the sake of this, we're going to talk about gold, silver, bronze. 40 teams in each tier. Each tier is going to be split into four divisions of 10 teams. And those 10 divisions are going to be geographical. So this board of directors is going to determine these divisions based on geography. They will also ultimately create the schedule. It will be similar to how some high school associations work with districts and stuff like that. Like from year to year, they're kind of fluid. And the governing body drafts districts by geography and enrollment and stuff. So enrollment's not a factor here, but geography will be uh, the primary. So this will fix the travel concerns. They will play a 12-team, or excuse me, a 12-game regular season. So they will play nine games within their own division, and that allows for three non-division games. They will play one game against each of the other divisions. As far as like how they determine those games, I, obviously you would have to plan them before the season starts, but whether you pit the the better team, you know, the top teams against the perceived top teams or whatever. I don't know, um, but that's really irrelevant. That can be figured out one way or another. Each div- and, and this all applies for every tier. Each tier will have an eight-team playoff. The top two teams from each of the four divisions will make the playoff. Uh, we could have a bowl set up for the teams that have a good record but don't make, do not make the eight-team playoff. You know, that's an option, I guess, if you want to keep the whole bowl thing alive. This is the most fascinating thing, in my opinion. The league will operate on a relegation promotion system, similar to what you hear in like uh, the Premier League in Europe for soccer. The bottom four teams in each tier will be relegated to the lower tier, and the top four teams will be promoted to the upper tier every season. 
And so I think that, and I, I will get to this later in more detail, but as far as what you would do with the bottom four teams and the bronze tier, if you just have these perennial bottom feeders, what do you do? Um, I have a plan for that as well. So the league office itself will establish rules, standards, and regulations in regards to academics, recruiting, and player compensation. My idea proposes slotted maximum compensation based off of grade level. So sophomores will make more than freshmen, juniors will make more than sophomores, and so on. And now you don't have to make the maximum, but there is a cap on how much you can make. So obviously, you know, five stars will max out at whatever the highest level a freshman can make. Uh, to kind of curb a little bit of the transfer stuff, if you transfer to another school at any point in time, the moment it is your first year at a new university, you get the first year pay. You get freshman pay. So I, I think you could have some exceptions to this, a coaching change, or perhaps like you could put some playing time requirements in there. Like let's say you're a freshman, you go to school somewhere, you don't really play much. It's just a bad fit. And so your motive to transfer is just simply like, I want to go somewhere where I fit better. And maybe you played 10 snaps all year. I don't think you should punish someone in that situation. Uh, so I think you could maybe set something up that takes care of that. This is more to get get away from the, I had a great year, so I'm going to take the bag of cash to go play for a higher level team next season. Moving on. Violation of league rules um, could result in being demoted to one of the lower divisions, one of the lower tiers. And uh, I think this would function as sort of a catch-all in terms of punishment due to the, the, the decreased revenue that would result from this because of you're going to have you're going to be a less desirable destination for recruits because you're going to play in a lower tier against lower tiered uh, competition. I think uh, ticket sales could suffer. And then one of the things that I'm going to explain more in a second, lower TV revenue. TV deals will be handled on a tier by tier basis. So the gold tier, they will get the best TV deal, the best networks, the highest level of compensation. If you are in that tier, you're making the most money. Sil silver tier would be slightly less, still good money. And then obviously, you know, maybe the bronze tier is like the Apple deal the Pac-12 got offered or something like that. You know, but you get what I'm saying. I think that, you know, there are tiers to the, the TV deals there. And all of this is essentially kind of controlled and legislated by the league office. You're, you're taking university presidents, university administration, conference commissioners out of the equation entirely. This is being handled by a single governing body. Um, so I talked about the bottom four teams in the bronze division. Uh, they would be at risk of being removed from the league completely and being replaced. How would they be replaced, you ask? Well, the NCAA would still function as a governing body for collegiate football, but their highest level of football would be some version of what we view now as the FCS. What I would say is teams could apply to join the top tier league and in the event that there's a team that's going to be removed for lack of competitiveness or rules violations, whatever, or maybe they opt out of it entirely. There would be an application process to promote yourself from the FCS level or whatever that appears to be into this top tier league, which I would truly would envision being like a very few and far in between this happening. But I think it's important to have a process in place for in the event this does occur. So, the NCAA, again, it still exists, um, and it operates all of the other sports, and those other sports can operate within their little conferences like we have now and, and maybe kind of revert back to more regional conferences that make sense to take care of these travel concerns that everyone has. Also, I think that there's a version of this that could be created for major college basketball as well at some point in time. So, ultimately... College football becomes a pro league. It becomes a pro league. It's governed like a pro league. Obviously, there's some extra rules that are going to apply due to the academic factor. Um, I do think it cannot just be the Wild West with recruiting. There has to be some sort of structure to recruiting and compensation. And it has to be something that's enforceable. Sometimes I think that the NCAA, they institute these rules, but it's impossible for them to enforce it on a broad scale. Like Now, what the actual answer to that is, I don't know. But I think that you have to make some sort of a structure that is easily understood, easily followed. And if it's violated, it's easy to penalize it. Other than that, I mean, you know, one of the other great ideas just came up here in the last couple of days, which is 
it's different than this, but it's kind of in the same vein as Chip Kelly came out and said, hey, look at Notre Dame. They're independent. Why aren't we all just independent? We're, we're all just independent away from all these conferences, make our own schedules and do our own thing. And everybody else, all, all the other sports can be in a conference. And, and that makes a lot of sense. And I mean, it kind of applies to this in some some way, shape, or form. Now, I don't think this will ever happen, like I said, because there's probably a lot of people in power at different universities that stand to make a lot less money than they make now under this sort of structure. But it, it was just intriguing to me because I'm a traditionalist. I forced myself to think outside the box in regards to, okay, like, what could this really look like moving forward? Because I do feel like it's trending towards something that looks similar to this in some way, shape, or form. Iceman, tell me what you think. Well, I think that what you're proposing is is a little bit more in line with what I think needs to happen. I don't actually care about conference realignment. And even though I'm a traditions guy in a certain sense, I just want to watch some ball, as Budge would say. And I think that what worries me, though, is the escalation of this. And it's escalating to the point that we're not even done yet. We don't even know what the final dominoes are going to be. And what worries me is that it's going to destroy things like the NCAA tournament, or it's going to destroy things like maybe the NCAA tournament for wrestling, because now we don't know what the future holds for those. What happens when football overtakes everything? Because there are basketball programs, I'm sure, as a part of these schools who are like, we don't want to fly out to Iowa to play basketball. We don't want to have to go to Piscataway, New Jersey to play Rutgers. There you go. That's for you. And I think that what you're proposing, while more like a pro league, I think allows for a little bit more structure. Right now, it's the Wild West. There is no structure. All these conferences, I don't even know if they really have a footprint for what they want, like a runway for where they want to end up. And there's a lot of schools in a lot of these conferences that are being left out in the cold or that are a part of this. I'm looking at Vanderbilt right now who are going to be beneficiaries of just having been in the SEC for so long. And why? They've been bottom feeders. Colorado is lucky to be in the Big 12 because they have Coach Prime. They're coming off a 1-11 season. But what I hear when you talk about this is that you're basically advocating to almost create like the Champions League, the way that Drew talked about it on Fan to Fan. And I think that it's it's intriguing. I think there are a lot of things to iron out, obviously. This is not even close. But I think the bones of what could be are there. And I think married with Chip Kelly's idea of independence, because I think that the other sports should be allowed to just sort of do what they have always done. Football dominates the landscape, the landscape. So let football dominate it. Let football do what it has to do, secede from the NCAA, because let's both be honest about this. If I were to ask you, is the NCAA really doing anything or adding any benefit to college football? None at all. None at all. So why are they even here? They're here to make a big mess of this because they're watching this. They have no power to stop any of this, clearly. And so maybe take away their power for this big-time college football. And I know that a lot of people, they're used to their old college ways. You're used to seeing Big Ten, Pac-12 in the Rose Bowl, things like that. And I get it. I do. Like, I still want to see those things. We're past the point of no return. There is no returning to any of that. There's no returning to the pageantry of the Rose Bowl. I hate to say it, man, but at this point with this conference realignment, things like the Rose Bowl, the traditions, they mean nothing. They mean nothing. And at least in what you're proposing is basically taking a blank sheet of paper and let's sketch this out starting right now. Will it be perfect at the beginning? Nope. Are there things you're gonna have to iron out? Yes. But just like this right now, because I'm telling you, when we get to the final product of this conference realignment, there's going to be all these unintended consequences that we're going to have to say, damn, what do we do now? And that's the part where we need to get there. We don't know what they are. We don't know how many kids are going to be affected, how many families are going to be affected. At least in your model, we're calling a duck a duck and we're just throwing the money right in the consumer's face. Yeah. And another thing I like about my idea is the fact, you know, obviously I'm a Notre Dame fan which, you know, they're, they're an upper echelon program in college football. I'm an Iowa wrestling fan. You know, they're a successful program. But I'm a Bradley basketball fan, right, mid-major. So, like, what I like about this thing 
is it allows for maybe what you could perceive as like a group of five team that has success. It allows them the opportunity to play with the big boys, right? To advance into that next league. And it, and it allows for the Vanderbilts of the world to get relegated back to where they probably belong. And that's those sort of things are probably what will would put the brakes on something like this. And I, you know, we talk about the other sports and I think it was Missouri's head coach came out and he had some comments to say about this. And, and essentially what he said was as, you know, as universities, we sit there and we put all these limitations on the players with what they're allowed to do. And um, even with the transfer transfer portal NIL, like their rights are still limited to some degree. And at this, in the same breath, like the university will just up and move conferences or whatever, like no big deal. And just imagine, let's say that you're Oregon and you recruited a kid and the way that you won that kid is you said, Hey, listen, throughout your time here, at least once a year, if not twice a year, this kid's from some Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, if not once a year, at least twice a year, we're going to play in Phoenix or we're going to play in Arizona. Excuse me. We're going we're gonna to play in Arizona. Your parents can come see you play. Um, I get your parents might not be able to get to Eugene, but you know what? They can get to uh, a game when we go play Arizona State or Arizona. That's your pitch, right? That's how you sold that kid is, you know what? Like, we're, we're still going to get you close to home at least once a year for your folks to see you play. Now, here you are shipping off to, you know, you're never going to play those teams again, probably, unless you get matched up with them in a bowl game or whatever else. It's it's just funny how when it comes to promises that we expect these young people to be loyal and to keep their word and all these things. But as institutions of higher learning, right, that want to put themselves on a pedestal once in a while, when when it comes to something that could benefit them, they'll turn coat in two seconds, man. Gone. No questions asked. No concern. Missouri's already an example of that because they jump ship immediately to go to the SEC. And oh, by the way, the Missouri coach has probably left how many head coaching gigs and left a lot of those recruits out to dry because a better and more lucrative opportunity comes up. I always find it funny whenever coaches, it was like Jimbo Fisher last year talking about the best class money could buy or whatever it was. I can't remember. It was somebody, he was involved. And it's like, I think it was Nick Saban saying that. And it's like, dude, Nick, come on. Like, can we have a little bit more self-introspection here or him talking about the fairness of of NIL and we're an, we're an academic institution. Get out of here. Like all these, hippo- they're all hypocrites and it's okay. Like I'm okay with that. It's fine. But I always laugh at that stuff because you're right. It's about opportunity. And as much, uh, as much praise as we gave Deion Sanders for what he did at Jackson State, we knew he was going to jump at the next gig. And guess what? If Colorado does well, he's going to jump to the next one. And that's just the nature of where we are. It may be amateur in the way that we have placed amateurism on collegiate athletics, but I'm going to tell you something, man. It's capitalism. It's capitalism all day, every day, 365. And until they figure out a way to regulate it or figure out a way to, I guess, give it some structure, I don't know where it's headed. But it's funny because the Pac-12 is gone, right? Or it's the Pac-4 now. You notice that I think all four of the schools that are left are all the most like academically savvy ones in the conference. I find that to be very, very funny. Stanford and Cal, and I'm like, nobody wants them. That's interesting. And so there's just so much that is left to be left to be decided. And it's not going to be decided this year. But I'm going to tell you, look, is it going to stop us from watching the product? No, we're still going to watch. And I'd watch if it was this. And I think it's an interesting idea. I would love to hear what the listeners have to say. So you know the number to do that if you want to call or text us. And is your school affected by this? I mean, Virginia Tech's not. We're still sitting in the ACC, mediocre as all hell. And Notre Dame is still independent. So we're both able to just continue to consume our teams the way we always have. But I would love to hear the perspective of some of these fan bases. Like, does Oregon care about playing anybody else besides Michigan and Ohio State? Like, does it matter? things like that. I don't know. I, it's just fascinating to me how all this is going to play out. And if you are hoping that it goes back to something more traditional, you're going to be waiting a long time. What's the saying? You can wish in one hand, shit in the other. And guess what? It is what it is now. So college football is ever changing, but 
if anybody needs a sponsor for this new league, I think the Iceman and Coach League sounds really, really good. I think we'd be great commissioners, and obviously the coach would be relegating and firing people left and right to create this new empire that you have proposed to us. You know what would be fun is we would make it uh, we would make it like they do the Hall of Fame. You, you see the guy that goes around and tells everybody they're being inducted in the NFL Hall of Fame. It would be like that. I'd just show up at the coach's house. Hey, whoever, how are you doing today? Guess what? You've been promoted to the gold <laughs> tier of the Iceman and Coach College Football League. And I would do it in my best John Gruden voice. But <laughs> I like this idea, though. Like, that's a great job, right? We both agree. Like, that's a great gig to go around and give good news. Yeah, I think that'd be great. But at the same time, I'd also want to go around all the coaches of the teams that are being relegated and say, hey, guess what, buddy? Going down. But you you need that, though. You need that check and balance in what you're proposing and in anything because you you will find out that it will quickly turn into what we see in professional sports now. There will be schools that have zero incentive to win and to try to win. And if there is something that is a consequence for them losing perennially, they're going to try a little bit harder. It doesn't mean that they will win, but I think they're going to try a little bit harder. And that's one thing in professional sports that is lacking. Like in college, a lot of the schools that are perennially bad, it's not because they're not trying. It's just because they can't compete resource wise and money wise with these other schools like UConn is never going to be able to build what Alabama is building or Tennessee is building or any of those other schools. They just don't have the resources. But in this new model, if it's more professional and they feel like they're making enough of a payday, if there are no consequences, they can just say, yeah, we're good here. But if you're getting relegated and you're seeing no money or at least a very, very small percentage of the money, that is incentive a lot for these universities. So I think that There's a lot of intrigue behind what you're proposing. It's just, we have to figure this out. So we've got a lot of time, man. I think we can figure it out. Yeah, well, and just think about this. You could win your way into resources, right? Like if you're you're a school that lacks resources, and I, I mean, you just have to have one good year and you could win your way into resources. Now, granted, you got to put it together to stay out of the bottom four to, to keep compounding those resources. You could win your way into having what you wouldn't have had otherwise with traditional conferences. And I think it's really, you are, whatever you have or don't have is based on your own merits alone, and that's it. It has nothing to do with who you're associated with, what league you're in. Like I said, Vanderbilt's been riding coattails in the SEC forever. We could say the same thing about maybe Northwestern or Indiana or Purdue or Rutgers in the Big Ten. I mean, there we could go every com- conference by conference in the Power Five and list off teams that have been mostly irrelevant for the last decade, but are still collecting their TV revenue and everything else just because the the conference logo that's painted on the field, right? I, I love the idea of a team being able to profit or not off of their own merits. That that's that's just very uh very gritty right? Grit. And uh, I love to see it. I love the idea of instead of seeing the SEC logo on Vanderbilt's field, see the INC Sports logo on Vanderbilt's field. Now that would be wonderful. But I want to talk about something completely different because it amuses the absolute hell out of me. I I know you'll get a kick out of this and it's in baseball, actually. You remember a couple months ago, we talked about our boy, Glenn Kuyper, and how he said a not so great word on the Oakland Athletics broadcast. And I actually used the real word that he was trying to use about the Negro Leagues. And you got a little nervous. I could tell that you were a little bit stressed out when I used it. But Glenn Kuyper got fired or suspended or whatever. And we both agreed at the time, not a great look. And while maybe a mistake, we did break it down a little bit. Well, the Baltimore Orioles apparently... The Angelos family got up on the wrong side of the bed the other day. Have you heard about this story with their announcer? Yes, I have. Okay. Well, when I first heard it, I heard Kevin Brown got fired, and I thought it was that old pitcher from the late 90s and mid-2000s who had gotten fired. But it turns out the Orioles have a very well-respected broadcaster, and they were in Tampa, and the Orioles have been bad for a while. And as part of the pregame, they talked about how unsuccessful the team had been in Tampa to the point that the production truck had made a graphic for this. So this is all part of the plan. And it turns out he got suspended and or fired because basically he highlighted how crappy the Orioles have been against the Tampa Bay Rays. 
I can't even begin to tell you how much that makes me laugh because it amazes me that somebody who has the kind of money that the Orioles owner has could be so thin-skinned as to be told by one of his people, yeah, the team really hasn't been that great, and to be so sensitive about it that you get rid of the guy. It's, it's so amusing to me because it doesn't matter how much you have, how much money you have, you're all humans and you put your pants on the same way. What's ridiculous about it is that the Orioles are very good this year. The data that he was giving is factual. It's based off real results. It's not made up. There's no emotion in it whatsoever. He didn't say anything inaccurate. I mean, he just threw out stats. He was just highlighting uh, an interesting fact or series of facts about that particular series and especially in that particular stadium. And that's good commentary, in my opinion. This is some weak-ass shit from the Orioles. Like, this is soft, man. Super soft. Charmin, soft. It's it's just amazing because it's exactly the way you pointed out. Like, I thought when I first saw the headline, obviously he went rogue or he did something that would deserve this. And it would be like if all of a sudden the next episode I was gone because I gave a stat of the week. Like, and I've given some sort of quote-unquote negative stats of the week. And I thought maybe he dropped an F-bomb, maybe he used some type of a slur, like we hadn't gotten all the information. And so it's on Twitter and I watch the video and I'm done and I say, what the f*** did he do wrong? And I was just baffled by it. And you know what, man, I want to say this. This to me, and I think I even tweeted this out, even though we don't do a lot of tweeting anymore, but I said, this is what happens when traditionally cheap executives and cheap management looks at what their product has been in the face. I get it. If you're the owner of a team, you want your brand to be or seem as strong as possible. And if your own employees are disparaging the company or seemingly disparaging the company, I can understand being like, hey, we might not want to do that all that often. But when it comes down to the Angelos family saying, we felt that it made us look cheap. You have the 29th payroll in Major League Baseball. You are cheap. And guess what? In sports, cheapness comes with a price and it's a lot of losing. And the Orioles over the last 20 years have done a lot of losing. A lot. So much to the point that the Rays have not even been that great and they have lost so often to them in Tampa. And you know what? The data they gave highlighted how much better they are now. They're in first place. They're 30 games over 500. They're young. They're exciting. That's what you should be focusing on. And guess what? The stat was, hey, guess what? We're not as bad against Tampa this year. Hooray us. That gets you fired, apparently. Yeah, it's ridiculous. And Tampa, they have been pretty successful over the last decade. Like, they, I mean, for their payroll and the market and their tiny, weird stadium, like, they've been very successful, all things considered. And they're almost like the Oakland A's of the East Coast, in a way. But... Yeah, this is just absurd. I don't get it. Like you, I was waiting for the F-bomb or something crazy, and it never happened. And I'm like, is this... I'm like, wait, are they just mad because he's talking about... I mean, you could say, oh, he's talking about how shitty they've been against the Rays, which is just... It's just true. Like, it's not... I I don't... it, It was not opinion at all. Like, zero of it was opinion. Just pure statistical facts. And if you are that thin skinned, like I don't, how do you manage to run a successful business? It's just absolutely insane, man. Like I, I don't know what else to say about it. It's just weak shit. Listen, Mr. Brown, if you want to come on the show and talk to us about your credentials, we'd love to have you here because you'd be a million times more professional than we are. But let's also talk about, this is like two more things, kind of doing a little bit, almost like a precursor to crunch time a little bit, but Speaking of something else that's ridiculous and about comments that were made. So my boy, Riverboat Ron, Ron Rivera, who is coach of the Washington Commanders. Obviously, now they're in training camp. Preseason is coming up. So you're hearing from these coaches a little bit more. I think he was asked a question about Eric Bieniemy because remember, he's no longer the offensive coordinator for the Chiefs. He's with the Commanders now. There's that weird deal where he's like the assistant or associate head coach, whatever the hell that means. And he made a comment about how the players don't like Eric Bieniemy's intensity or his intense attitude. And that's been kind of making the rounds a little bit. And I think to myself, these are professional athletes. 
And the head coach, first of all, Ron Rivera continues to say really, really dumb things. Like last year, he didn't know they could get eliminated in a game. Not great. And so now he's basically saying, yeah, this guy that we've brought in here, who is like my assistant head coach, yeah, the players aren't really digging him. Terrible thing to say to the media, but also these players are soft. Yes, I have two thoughts. Number one, again, like the folks just up the road, weak-ass people, man, weak-ass players. You are professional athletes. Like, if you are not, if you don't have the mental fortitude to allow yourself to be coached hard, how did you even get to this point? Because I guarantee you, some coach along the way coached the shit out of you, and it played a huge integral part of like why you are in the position you're in right now. And if you think just because of the the paycheck that gets deposited into your bank account every month, that you are now at a level to which you are, you can no longer be coached hard. Like you are an entitled son of a bitch. It's so soft, man. So weak. You're playing the most physically demanding sport that's out there. Okay. Like football. If you did shit that is legal to do in a football game on the street, you would get arrested, okay? There's shit you can do in a football field that you could not do in Walmart. It takes a certain level of training and preparation and mentality to to do that, man, at the highest level, at the highest level in the world. And you're complaining that a guy is coaching you too hard. Weak shit. And then Ron Rivera, come on, dude. Like, it is like the, the day one coaching manual. Don't throw your coaches under the bus, man. Like, I could say a lot of things about Ron Rivera. I never thought I would say that he wasn't he wasn't a coach of uh oh what's the the wording I'm looking for like high moral fiber. High, high moral fiber but like respect, man. This is just a total lack of respect and integrity. And I never thought I would say that about Ron Rivera. Not in a million years. I would have said like before, you know ter- whatever like bad head coach, bad in-game decision making, whatever. I could say a million things about him, but one of the last things on that list would be like no integrity, poor character, lack of, I mean, those, those are not things that I ever would have thought I'd say about Ron Rivera, but this is a very, who would ever want to work for him after this? The funny part about, yes, but the funny part about this man is that don't forget, Eric Bieniemy has tried to get a head coaching gig for a while and there have been rumblings about him and all this other stuff. And it's just hilarious that Ron Rivera would, I mean, throw him under the bus. Like he's basically calling his players out or saying that his players are, oh, you know, he's just a little too intense. Listen, you get paid a lot of money to play football. Football is a rough sport. I get it. I know we were very vocal about Pat Fitzgerald and the hazing thing and all that, but we said it's different because those are amateurs. Those are kids. These are professionals. Like there are guys on the commanders who are in their mid thirties. You're telling me that they're like, come on, coach. He yells at me too much. He's making me run too much. You're a professional athlete getting paid a lot of money to play a game. And if you have a hard coach, you have a hard coach. Not every coach is the same. Do you think players would have said this about Bill Parcells back in the day? Do you think they would have said this about Bill Belichick back in the day? Bill Belichick is a curmudgeon compared to a lot of these head coaches like Pete Carroll, guys that are player friendly. He has never said one of his coaches stinks out in a press conference. He's going to tell them behind closed doors. He's going to say it during a meeting, but he's never going to throw a player, even last year. You remember the lateral play at the end of the Raiders game? Didn't even say, yeah, he did the wrong thing. Just said, hey, it happens. We're on to the next game. But no, during the preseason, Ron Rivera. Yeah, you know, Eric's a little bit intense and the players are a little bit intimidated by him. Man, the commanders are going to suck this year. So the only possibility outside of the players being weak and Rivera being an asshole for throwing him under the bus. I would say, I guess, or at least acknowledge the possibility that Eric Bieniemy is a psychopath. Certainly possible, right? Like the fact that he's been passed over so many times for a head coaching position, you know, most of the people, not most, there's, there's a certain segment of people out there would make you believe it's for other reasons. But at the end of the day, man, I think in the NFL, they just give a shit about winning. I don't think they give a shit if you're black, brown, purple, yellow, whatever. Uh, They just want to win. So I don't buy into that narrative. And so maybe there is something to his coaching style that has kept him from ascending to that that position. And maybe Andy Reid had the right type of personality to keep it in check or at the very least not publicly (laughs) throw him under the bus 
And maybe that's also another reason why Andy was willing to let him go. Who knows? But uh, maybe we'll never know. But that's at least a possibility, I think, that we have to acknowledge. Oh, sure. But I think if he was a real lunatic, even Ron Rivera would be like, he can't be here. Like, if he is that bad, how could you still employ the guy? I get that if you're winning, it's different. But, I mean, Andy Reid had Patrick Mahomes. So if your offensive coordinator is that unstable, he could really ruin a guy. And you don't want him around like that. So I think this just speaks to the general lack of any type of integrity or any type of competency by the Washington Commanders because it's a joke franchise, as you pointed out. However, I do want to highlight one coach who's doing something really, really cool before we get to the end. Mike Vrabel, former Patriot, he's the coach of the Titans. He's doing something in the preseason that I actually like, and I've, I don't think I've ever seen it before. He's letting his assistant coaches coach or be the head coach for the, a preseason game. I think that's a great idea because it gives these guys actual game experience. Yeah, I know it's the preseason, but they don't have it. And a lot of times when you're trying to take that step up, you don't have the experience. You got to prove that you can do it even though you haven't. So Mike Frabel's given them a little bit of a nod. Again, preseason, but the decision-making is still there and all the ins and outs being a head coach. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, there's some people that are freaking out about it, speculating that there, there must be something going on, that he's anticipating some suspension. Does this mean he's being fired? I'm not saying it could mean one of those things, but it is kind of uh, maybe genius in a way because I once coached with a guy and I didn't understand it because I was younger and naive, but he would want to practice week to week almost every possible scenario that could happen in a game. And I'm like, I've never, ever seen that. He's like, I saw it in this game. When I was coached at this place and this year, whatever. He's like, I get that it never happens, but if it happens one time and you're not ready for it, it could change the game. And he's right. And so maybe part of this, other than giving the guy an opportunity for the experience, is that, hey, one of those, like, what do we do if for some reason I'm unable to be on the sideline and be the head coach for the game? What do we do in that situation? And, yeah, we could have a plan on paper, but have we practiced it? And so let's practice it. Let's put every, let's put it into motion. Let's put everybody in those positions and have to make those decisions that they'll have to make if, if that ever ha- occurs. So at least when the time comes, we're prepared for it. And you have nothing to lose. There's there's literally, there's no downside to this at all whatsoever, in my opinion. Mike Vrabel is established enough there that he's not threatened by anyone like ascending the, you know, if he, if he loses his job, it's just going to be because they're bad. It's, you know, it's not going to be because somebody comes along and dethrones him in some way. So I, I think it's a cool thing. And uh, I'd be curious to see if it catches on, like in the future, if you see other, other teams doing something similar. Yeah, I think that it should because I think, again, it just gives the opportunity for experience, reps. Coaches need reps too. We always get on head coaches for not knowing the game situations and all that. Nathaniel Hackett was awful last year. Would he have been better if he had a little bit more experience in a preseason game or something? Maybe. We're never going to know that, but what we do know is that we're heading to the end of the show. Iceman's stat of the week. As always, Coach and I like to do a little bit of that personal touch, and we always start with my stat of the week. So, Coach, are you ready? Iceman, I want you to stat me right across the face, buddy. Let's go. You've probably heard this one, but it's too good not to mention. So I assume that you're familiar with Sony Michelle, who is a running back who just recently retired from the Los Angeles Rams. Well, Sonny Michelle had quite a career. It wasn't very long, but he was a multiple-time Super Bowl champion. However, he was teammates with Stetson Bennett, a guy we talked about last week being 38 years old in the national title game last year. So they were on the same team at Georgia. Sonny Michelle retired this week. That means that Sonny Michelle was drafted in the first round, played for four different NFL teams, won two Super Bowls, and retired all while Stetson Bennett was still in college. That's absolutely ridiculous. Like, I mean, the stats and different crazy scenarios that keep coming along with Stetson Bennett and his outrageously long college career are insane. Like, it's just a wealth of fascinating statistics. I saw that in a lot of different places, so I can't give credit, but it just was, it was hilarious. It's 
Last week's stat was about how the guy had all this eligibility and due to different reasons and COVID had a lot to do with it. And you talked about the Bradley basketball team having that and why they were so experienced this year because of the fact that they had a lot of players who were in, or I think it was Drake too, had a lot of guys who were later in their life because they had different eligibility due to COVID. So this was just a little bit different. Like to think that their teammates, think that Sony Michelle had an entire career in the NFL and Stetson Bennett was at Georgia that whole time. Like it's, I don't even understand how they could have been at the same place and still Stetson Bennett not only won one, but two national championships and hasn't even taken a snap in the NFL. And Sony Michelle said, I'm out. So I just, I was tickled by that. I love stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. And, and I think we're going to hear more and more stories like that. I, we're about at the end of it, but there may be a few more that come out of players that have uh, played for just a, what seems like a exorbitant amount of time on some of these campuses due to COVID and injuries and red shirts and everything else. Hit the trumpet. It's that time, Coach's Pick of the Week. So last week we deviated a little bit. However, we did show this stat to Tyler because we wanted there to be full transparency. So Tyler did make a pick that we're going to have to wait, I think, until October to see. I believe he picked Texas Tech over Oregon. We will see about that. Tyler maybe want to know. However, Coach, you are still 2-12 and 12 with an 11-game losing streak, and it's time to try once again. There's more and more things you're going to be picking from now on, but can you please bless us with another pick of the week, and let's hope this one is the right one. <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye. Coming to you with the first football pick of, we'll call, the new season. And... Nothing says degenerate like preseason football picks. And so I'm coming to you with one for, uh, for this coming Friday night as the New York Giants take on the Detroit Lions in a preseason matchup of two teams that have somewhat high expectations coming into the season. Now, you may say that a lot of successful teams traditionally don't play very well in the preseason for various reasons, whether it's resting players or almost like intentional failure to keep motivating their teams. Like, you know, the Colts notoriously would go 0-4 in the preseason and then win 14 or 15 games in the regular season. But there's one person on this earth who I know would never, ever, ever stand for that. And it is Motor City Dan Campbell. I think if there's a winner and a loser, that that man is going to do everything in his power to be the winner. He strikes me as the type of guy that it doesn't matter if it's a preseason game, regular season game, postseason game, charity game, doesn't matter. If there's a winner and a loser, he's going to be competing to win the game. So that is why I'm taking the Detroit Lions over the New York Giants this Friday in preseason NFL action. The Detroit Lions, who, by the way, went 4-0 in the preseason, the year that they went 0-16. That's another great stat for you over the New York Giants in what has to be the worst bit of football I've ever seen, which is week one of the preseason. Preseason football is bad, folks. Just not my thing. Coach, Motor City Dan Campbell, he's your boy. He has let you down before, but maybe this is the one. So let it be written. So let it be done. That hour flew by, my man. We are already at the end of the show. So do you have any parting thoughts for the loyal Ice Time Nation listeners? Just more excitement. I, I've exhausted my opinions throughout this episode very passionately at times, so I won't uh, do it more to, to wrap things up. Just happy to be here. Grateful for this time with you doing this together. Looking forward to everything we have coming up, and I hope everybody has a great week. I could not agree more. A couple of things before we let you go. Do not forget, starting on Friday, August 25th, week zero of the college football season, 9 p.m., we are going to be starting a new weekly live college football pre-show. It is going through a little bit of a name change because of some family things that have come up. However, it is going to be the show before the show that is College Game Day, so look out for announcements about that. Don't forget, if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe, all that good stuff. If you're listening in the audience, if you're listening in the podcasting space, do not forget to hit follow whatever app it is that you use. On TikTok at INC Sports is where you can find us. 
all that good stuff. Matty Ice Media Network. We have a lot of fun things coming up. I'm definitely excited. We just released some flashing the leather with Jonesy about some baseball. The cornerman after the big Spence Crawford fight last week. We had Tyler on. It's going to be awesome. And I'm really, really excited. So I want to say thank you to everybody who tuned in. Thank you to everybody who has supported us. As always, I hope this finds you well. I hope this finds you safe. From Iceman and Coach, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.